They should win the game. They get a point. We, we score a perfectly good goal. Make it 2-0. Game's done, done dusted. We win the game. This was cost you two points, Dave. It's standard. 10 past 10. Most of the children are probably in bed, but the, these, these boys are fucking mentality giants. It's unbelievable. And Shakiri hasn't he the funniest shape. He's a little chunky fella. They'll fight for the tree. The joke. Gone about far this, far that. Help the officials out. Clearly they need help. Clearly we play in the Premier League. It's a joke. It's a joke. What if I told you at the beginning of the season that by the 1st of December, Freddie Lundberg would be managing Arsenal, Jose Marino would be the Spurs boss, and Liverpool would be 11 points ahead of Manchester City? Well, not even in my wildest football manager saves have generated such an unbelievable turn of events. Hello and welcome to this week's Tree of the Back podcast. How are you, lads? Hey, Kev, Eric Kane. That's for him. Hi, hey, hey, chaps. Great opening, Kev. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, I suppose... Uh, all of all of that has happened really since since we last reconvened um for the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So um we've bought loads to unpack tonight. Um we also have Monday night's Ballon d'Or Awards. Um and we're going to talk a little bit about Leicester's ascent to a possible title contender there. Um along with all that, we'll be on the phone to Goal.com's Liverpool reporter Nia Jones in part two ahead of Wednesday night's Merseyside Derby, where each club's fortunes couldn't be any further away from each other, with Liverpool leading the league and Everton teetering on the edge of the relegation zone. So we'll be chatting to Neil about both clubs so far this season and how they're looking moving forward going into the Christmas period. Um I suppose, lads, it's been a busy couple of weeks of action, but we'll probably start with Leicester and they've been kind of our darlings ever since the preseason, um, and we've spoken about them a couple of times over the course of the league so far and they've kind of had that dark horse tag um, and since they've lost to Liverpool a couple of weeks back they've now won five out of five in the league. Phil we'll start with you are they genuine title contenders or are they more just in a, in a vein of form that will fizzle out eventually? Um, I think the answer might be somewhere in the middle. I, I'm still, maybe it's just past experience, I'm still more worried from a Liverpool point of view about City, even though they're not playing great and they're 11 points behind. It's just knowing that City literally won 14 on the bounce last year to win the league and that they can fire off these ridiculous winning runs. Um, as you said, Leicester on a great vein of form. They're playing uh, some good stuff and then they're playing kind of stoutly and kind of aggressively when they need to. Um, I don't know if they can keep up what, they've been doing recently um, fixtures have been kind without being overly kind to them so like they've, they've won some good games in that five um, I think they, they tend to as is the case when Leicester do well they tend to outperform their XG by quite a degree now that that can be an indication that performances are going to regress to the mean or it could just be that Leicester are really good at taking uh, slight chances um, so it, it, if they can keep it up like as we said a couple of weeks ago I, I think they're definitely a top four team and they could end up being second, depending on how City go. But I actually think it's more dependent on how City's season goes for the rest of it. And still in the back of my head, just knowing what City did last year, I'd still be slightly more worried about them as a title contender than Leicester. But that's not to say that they won't kick on. Yeah, I, I remain lovely and nicely perched um, on the fence there with Phil, to be quite honest, lad, because... I don't really like I, it's just such a weird kind of it reminds me of the of the year that they actually won it. Um no I don't for one, one minute think that they will win it this year, but 
the season that's kind of a, that's that's panning out is 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 similar in in the sense that a lot of the big teams basically are in disarray. Um, now Liverpool are obviously incredibly strong, and, and there's no change in my mind in terms of Liverpool winning it this year. Um, but they look it's just really really good to watch. Um, it's kind of like Phil was saying as well. Like it's a good point in in that they're outperforming their XG, um, which would generally indicate that they will regress to the mean at some point. Um, so they'll draw points here and there, whereas maybe Liverpool won't, and, and City. City could catch them, even maybe a Spurs could catch them. But look, I mean, the last thing you want to be doing is is underestimating Leicester City, um, and and especially, I, I know the, the the squad has probably changed a lot since since they won the league. But you know when they're spearheaded by Vardy, like Jamie Jamie Vardy's very like he's a spunky character. You you still have that. Maybe it's maybe it's kind of like you know Jamie Vardy is in like intrinsically sort of like intertwined in the fabric of Leicester that you just you always think of them as that plucky underdog side with him in it um, and they're always dangerous um, so you know not saying Liverpool kind of should be looking over their shoulder or anything but you never know I hate to end it on that but you never know I was very uh, firmly on the, the fence with, with um and watching their game against Everton on Sunday, I was kind of like, oh, Everton are doing us a favour here. They're kind of, they're taking a couple of points off Leicester and that's going to kind of ease a little bit of the pressure on Liverpool um, with those um, sniffing uh, uh, down their backs in the league. And when they got that last second win, I was like, these aren't really going to go away anytime soon, I don't think. Mm. Um, and I kind of was <laughs> starting to get worried then, is Brendan Rodgers going to engineer um, the downfall of Liverpool once again um, <laughs> and take Leicester to the title this time around um, and that would be the story to end all stories that would be incredible that would be an oh incredible story um, and like he has Jamie Vardy kind of playing that Luis Suarez role where he's just untouchable at the moment um, he's scoring week in week out and he has them winning games um, and I mean they're a really good side and like like Phil said with the, with the XG that it probably will return to a mean at some stage and they will drop points and I know they have um, Man City and Liverpool back to back which could make or break their kind of their mental uh, as possible possibly uh, their thereabouts in the top two um, or even three but I don't think they're going to be that far off um, I think Rodgers has kind of really re-energised his um how people view him and I think he's kinda he's he's toned down that that Brentishness um that he kinda had developed at Liverpool and he's just getting on with it and he's I'm not surprised to see him being linked with Arsenal. Um and I, I think he'd be making a huge mistake to, to take the Arsenal job. Um and I think he probably said as much himself um considering how much of a disarray that club is in and how he seems to have things going well at Leicester and it's a good ownership group and he has a good squad. Um, is that a step down? Do you think? Uh, step down, staying at Leicester or going no, to Arsenal? No, 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 going to Arsenal. At the right moment, now right now it has to be because Leicester, looking at the squad and obviously Vardy approaching his mid thirties now, but that's a squad that is capable of of staying in the top four for the next couple of years. And I mean, 
will it push on to it to win a league or, or compete regularly? Probably not, especially with with Liverpool how they are at the moment, and, and City are obviously going to um, get back to their best, considering their, their massive sums of investment. But I think Arsenal are kind of following the same path now that Man United did a couple of years back when um, Ferguson left, and we've now seen the first managerial kind of fall to uh, falling his knees there. Um, with Unai Emery getting sacked. And I think for Rodgers to follow that up, even though Arsenal probably have more plans in place than Man United did after Ferguson, I, I still think he'd be taking a, a step back. Mm. How good is this lad, Soyuncu, Chu, by the way, lads? Like, he's unbelievable. I love watching him play football. Like, he's only 23, and he runs games from the from the centre of defence. It's unbelievable, like. He, well, he, did. he did. There was a particular thing he did on Sunday. Uh, he was under a bit of pressure, and I can't remember if it was at one all or one nil. It, it was definitely before they went ahead, anyway. And he looked like he was under pressure, and he just did this like it, it wasn't Cruyff turn, but it was something approaching it. And all of a sudden, he was just striding through the middle of everyone's team, like like you said, just running the show, uh, Kane, like nearly like N'Golo Kante, but you know, like half a foot taller and from mm. a deeper. Like he was, he was just he's fantastic and. For a fellow who flew really under the radar, mm. um, oh, in terms of like, I, I know when when Leicester didn't replace Maguire and they said, "Well, we have this guy," nobody really kind of paid it much credence because why would you? Mm-hmm. But like, it, it's it's another gem that they've pulled out, and uh, like their their recruitment system, um, is right on top of things. That like that's yeah. he's an absolute gem of a player. He reminds me of of like a Lamazia, a top class Lamazia product on steroids. Like he's just. <laughs> Like, he's a tank of a chap. He doesn't really look it. He's really difficult to describe. Like, he's not that tall, but he's really compact and you know, looks looks a real, like, physical specimen. But he's so good on the ball. Um, and he's really kind of, like, you know, wiry. And he has that, like, Kante build, but a little bit bigger. And, you know, technically brilliant. Like, yeah, it's just, he blows my mind every time I see him. Well, I just can't unsee um, his Lord Farquhar and Shrek. Um, whenever I look at him, like he, he just has this big square head. Um, but looking at his they stats, love, they love a square head, don't they? Like <laughs> they, they do. Have, yeah. And I'm just going to mention that. I mean, looking at his stats here, he played eight times last year in all competitions, and throughout the summer we had that kind of whole Harry Maguire spiel about whether United will stump up the cash, and Fair play to the, the the whoever's in charge at, at Leicester and in terms of football decisions because they just they obviously had sat on their, their, their knowing that this guy was there um, in reserve to step in and they were going to get as much money as possible for Harry Maguire and it's turned out to be an absolute revelation um, and it, I suppose to revert back to Brendan Rodgers I mean if, if you're working for a club that operates that will um, it'd be hard to, to leave it at this point really moving on um, Arsenal not a team we've spoken a huge amount this season but it seemed like the writing was on the wall for Unai Emery from very early on um, and the first manager post winger uh, bites the dust after just a season of a bit in charge um, Freddie Lundberg is in as caretaker um, and he's already off to a tough start even his outfit at the weekend got slated by 
Paul Scholes of, of all people, calling the the kettle black. There, Keen, feel free to analyze Freddie's um, grey jumper short combo there. But um, how do you see his fate as Arsenal boss? Is he capable of doing an ollie on it, maybe, and sticking around for long? Well, well first things first. I do love uh, a shirt and and, and Gansy, um combo. It's always a winning, always a winning outfit. Uh, I was actually struck by somebody said it to me in work recently that you know he'd aged badly and I, like I was dumbfounded by this. The man is an absolute god. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, you know, oh, it's 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 outrageous. Um, but yeah, look, Arsenal are going to Arsenal, really, aren't they? Like, I mean, you've already heard um, rumours that you know he's being considered for the job on a full-time basis and you're like I've seen Daniel's story of, of Football 365 uh, kind of he classified it as unlearning um, which is probably like uh, the, the best way you could put it is like why would you even contemplate giving it to Freddie Youngberg um, mm. like is he is he even a club legend can we can we put him in the bracket of an Henri or, or a Vieira like I'd, I'd say he's a legend. Yeah. yeah. I would go more he's a cult figure than a legend. Um but but you know, I'm I'm definitely willing to to, to be you know debated on that one. But <laughs> in, in general terms, like I don't I didn't see enough, even in the, the short period against Norwich, whereby I thought, yeah, like Freddie Youngberg is is the man to, to solve this. Like d- defensively they are a shambles. It's so difficult to kind of comprehend how bad they've become. Like it's it's just it's gotten even worse than when when they were under um under Wenger. Like I mean the, the, and like that was the, the so called inverted commas banter era. Um but like yeah they've they've like gotten even worse. Um so yeah I, I don't really like if you're an Arsenal fan, do you want Freddie Youngberg? No, because I mean if you're gonna take a risk you really want you know you want a, a real sexy kind of gamble with, with somebody like a, a, an Arteta um, I've spoken to people who know him and they say that he is absolutely phenomenal and he was always likely to go into management in some in some way and apparently he's quite cold and ruthless um, so you can imagine the likes of you know if he's given the job or he, or, or he, or he takes it um, you can imagine a few of those guys are going to be basically shitting their dogs um, in terms of in terms of keeping their jobs, but yeah, I don't really know. It was like it was funny seeing Arsenal, or it was Arsblog, I think, talking about it. Um, their last week, and he was he he had no real clue as to who was going to really take it, and he didn't even know who he wanted, which was a bit surprising. Like, but this is the the sort of malaise and and the befuddlement that the Arsenal kind of find themselves in as a club. Yeah, I mean, like. You look, I think malaise is a perfect word to describe it, Keane, because if you look, I know, Kev, you were saying uh, when we were talking about Leicester and whether Rodgers would leave for Arsenal or not, that Arsenal seemed to have more plans in place than United had when Fergie left. And that's absolutely the case, but all those plans have been torn up since. I mean, uh, San Healy came in um, as like, like a kind of director of football, executive chairman sort of role, and then Sven Mislintat came in as head of recruitment. And they they butted heads. So Mislintat was out after signing a couple of players, and they brought in Adu, but Adu was brought in um, after Emery was brought in. So the director of football is there, 
not lined up with his choice of manager. Uh, the fellow who you brought in to head up your recruitment and allowed to sign a few players, you sacked pretty quickly. Like they're just in, they're in a state of disarray, and the idea that Lundberg would be considered after the Norwich game that the briefing would come out that he was being considered, or that he'd be given time, and um, like it's laughable. I mean, whatever about beforehand, you'd be like, okay, we'll see how he gets on. But like to do it after, as Kane, you said, a shambolic defensive display, another one against Norwich, um, a two-all draw, no wins in eight games or whatever it is now. Like it just feels like if you're gonna go for an inexperienced ex-player to be your new manager, that you do go with Arteta, who by all accounts mm. they were very close to going with in the summer, mm. uh, who has had uh, possibly the best tutelage in football with Guardiola. I know Lundberg's very well got at the club because he had the 23s playing in a nice style, but I mean. That's a big jump up um, from an under-23s manager to Premier League manager, um, especially for a club like Arsenal, at kind of a critical juncture. If I if I had my choice for them, I'd be going going home for Max Allegri, um, somebody yeah. that has a bit of stature in the game, somebody that could um, provide a bit of defensive structure. I know kind of the stick that's used to beat him is that he's a bit of, he's a bit more of a facilitator than a manager. I don't know how many people he actually facilitated in Juve. I mean, I know there was big personalities, but like he he didn't really cross over with Ronaldo or he did for only a season. Um, I, I think I think Allegri could be what Arsenal need um, in terms of sorting out the defence. If it's not Allegri and by all accounts he's not mad keen on it, then why not roll the dice in Arteta? If you're going to roll the dice, don't let it be Lundberg. And you've got a literal example of Solskjaer not working. Roll it with Arteta, who you were about to give the job to in the summer. Um, but like, ultimately, I don't know what's going to change um, in Arsenal unless something more fundamental does. Like like we said, their defensive shambles are an absence of leaders. I don't want to sound too much like Graham Souness, but like, where are the leaders? Where are the men? Like, you know, it's just it's just somebody to stand up and kind of take control of the club. Mm. They're drifting badly. That, Phil, that, that, that kind of leads me, sorry to cut across you, but that leads uh, me to kind of, I think they should reset here. I think they should reset and, and forget about, you know, nicey nice football and maintaining the Arsene Wenger tradition. I think they should go back to like a George Graham kind of era and go all out balls to the wall for Diego Simeone. Oh, yeah. I think they need somebody to basically organise this side badly. If they can organise if they can organise the, the, the defensive setup and get the midfield solid, the attacking players to a large extent will do the work for them that they have. They've got huge talent um, up front across across both midfield and attack. So it's just let that let that kind of naturally sort of like filter out. But start with the bedrock of the defence and 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 you know sort of DM sort of defensive midfield. Um, I think Simeone is the only guy that's gonna really out there that's gonna be able to do that for them. Um, but I mean, there just there just feels like this kind of like. They're lost a little bit, and they're lost within the idea of playing the the way they've been playing the last twenty years. And, and you know, to a large extent, I kind of did think Unai Emery was was the kind of was the right call. But if you they they just they defensively just don't have it. They need to go back to basics. And I mean. Diego Simeone is at this point is probably a bit of a pipe dream, um, all things considered. And looking at the odds for the next manager, um, makes for interesting reading. I mean, 
you have Lundberg and Arteta um, joint favourites at the moment. And on the surface, looking and hearing everything about Arteta, he should probably be the one that you'd lean for there. I know Lundberg is at there at the moment. Um, and if he gets things back on track, there probably will be a, a clamouring to get him in charge, kind of like Oli um, last year for Manchester United. Um, Allegri is there as well. Brendan Rodgers is high in the betting. Um, and a man who, I mean, I can see why nobody has made a move for him so far. And I'm kind of starting to get a little bit annoyed about it because I, I and I don't know, I hate to kind of make this, this assumption, but I feel that if he wasn't English, he would have got a bigger job a long, long time ago. And that's Eddie Howe, who's the fourth favourite at the moment. And some people have kind of said to me that he's sticking at Bournemouth because he's probably afraid to a certain extent of getting found out. You know, he may, he might realise his limitations as a manager. But from following Bournemouth over the past couple of years, they see they have a good plan. They've well structured. Um, they're very good defensively. He's able to get goals. Um, he's able to kind of work, getting them working in offensive areas. And he's done it with an absolutely minuscule budget and obviously you could kind of throw around it they spent a lot of money on kind of players that haven't worked out like Dominic Solanke and and Jordan Ibe both of whom both came from from Liverpool um and I think I think the one of the directors there is friendly with um the the Edwards at, at Liverpool so there could have been a, a quick handshake there but um I mean Phil I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this do you t- well, why do you feel that Howe hasn't been given the chance? Probably that if you compare him to Marco Silva, who's had a couple of jobs in the Premier League now, hasn't worked out at any of them, and he keeps getting kind of listed a, a, as a potential a, as a new guy at a new club. I think the, the Silva example is actually a really fair one to make. I mean, Silva was kind of headhunted out of two jobs, um, mm. and has has so far flattered to see every single one of them that he's been in in England. Uh, as opposed to how, like you said, they've, he's comfortably kept Bournemouth up every year. He looks like, like it, last year or maybe the season before, it looked like it might have been a slightly sticky patch and he actually brought them out the other side. Um, like, it's a weird one for Arsenal. I mean, on the one hand, I'd say that you'd want a more experienced hand at, at the tilt than Eddie Howe. And then on the other hand, I'm saying pick Arteta. So I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but maybe I'm falling in it to the same trap. Um, I, I think you're I think you're right. Like, if, if Nuno Espirio Santo... Is being considered. I don't see why Eddie Howe shouldn't be considered, um, and he'd definitely be a coach. Like he, he he's a coach. He's a coach rather than a manager, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, to go up with a plan, suit, basically. Exactly, and that might suit the structure that Arsenal. Let it do better in. Let San Healy run the club, whatever way he wants to run it. Um, it, it 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 might suit the project. Um, in a way that a more kind of hands-on, full-spectrum manager necessarily wouldn't. It's funny, there was real buzz before Wenger left, I don't know if you remember, um, when they were kind of, for the year or 18 months beforehand, they were talking about prospective replacements and how always came up. Um, and then when it actually came to it, his aim didn't actually get in, in the hill at Hunt and then he's kind of been out of the reckoning for a lot of jobs. Um, I just wonder if somebody like Everton, I know we're going to talk about them in a while, but if they do get rid of uh, Silva, just with the budgets now, I mean, they're like they, they've invest. I mean, they invest badly, but they invest in their team. They might be enough to tempt Howe away. 
I don't know if Arsenal might be a bit worried about the optics of taking Bournemouth manager, um, but like their two most successful managers in the last 50 years have been uh, George Graham, who I think was at Millwall he was with before he came to Arsenal, and uh, Arsene Wenger, who came from Japan. So, to answer your question, Kev, I don't know why he hasn't been considered, um, and I'm probably unconsciously biased against him as well, because I didn't even think about him. Can I suggest a reason, lads? Um, I'm going to go out and a limb here and basically say that Eddie Howe's a fraud. Yes, <laughs> no, I'm yes. only joking. I'm, I'm only joking. No, I'm actually only joking. Um, I, I, what I would say is that, like, I do, I, I do have the inkling, or at least the sense that he is a little bit overrated. Like, um, like, I struggle with this one because Bournemouth, in essence, are a small club, um, and and. Really shouldn't be anywhere near, um, you know, the top of the table, top six or whatever. But like, they they rarely finish top half. Like I know they've consolidated, but they do spend a lot of money. It's not like they, they're they're paupers. It's not like they're Burnley. Like you know, they they spend like a couple of quid here and there. They they spend money every year, every summer. They concede shed loads of goals every year. Like. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm not saying that he's not a good coach, and I'm not saying that he can't organise a defence. But it's not like they're a Leicester City. It's not like they've, you know, they've they've kicked on every season. Like they 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 they, they kind of like go up and down the table. It's it's not like a sustained effort of they're brilliant every year and and they're getting better and better and and, and whatever else. It, it, it's basically. Why would you not give it to, to somebody like uh, uh, Sean Dyche? Uh, you know, why does Sean Dyche not get the credit he deserves in that sense? I mean, like, basically, he, he's working with peanuts there compared to Eddie Howard Bournemouth. So it's it's just, yeah, I, I'm not saying that he, I'm not saying that he's not a, a good coach, but I always kind of get a bit sort of like narky when he's mentioned with like real top jobs, mm. and I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve a crack at it but I, yeah I, that he gets mentioned so frequently with these jobs uh, I'm not I'm not big on it for instance right for instance Brendan Rodgers uh, is like you know is essentially the favorite for, for whether he takes it or not probably won't but he's the favorite now he's rightfully the favorite like he did a great job at Swansea he did a great job at um at Liverpool mostly, um, okay, it didn't go, it didn't end up sort of, it didn't end up great, but there were reasons for that, and and, and he did a great job at Celtic, and now he's doing a great job at Leicester, like that's why, he, like that's why he, his stock is constantly high because he does really, really, really well in in relatively difficult positions, um, so I mean, yeah. I don't get the Eddie Howe calls, to be quite honest. Like, should Eddie Howe be going to an Everton? Like, Eddie Howe should be going to an Everton. Yeah, I agree. I, he, I, he, he needs to go to an Everton first before he gets mm. a job. And I, I mean, like, Bournemouth, he's taken Bournemouth up and he's consolidated a position in the Premier League. But he's not He's not taking him to that next level. Like, he needs to, he needs to either take Bournemouth to the next level or he needs to go to one of the teams beneath the traditional top six and then, you know, go from there and, and do what Brendan Rodgers has done. He's Tony Pulis with good football, isn't he, Kane? 
I that's my sense of it. Yes, that is my sense of it. Like, and and that might come across harsh, but I definitely think you know it's because he's lovely and blonde and very English and 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 mannerly and and all this and you know the whole call for like English pro- coaches to be promoted. But um, I think he's to do more to be quite honest. Um, and I think. I think his his reputation is a little bit engorged um, and a little bit sort of artificial. For now. Big call. I tell you, well, I can remember his name. Rod Little. He's the guy who ran away and left his wife for a young man. And depends on the quality of the eggs. In the supermarket, you have eggs class one, class two, class three. And some are more expensive than others, and some give you better omelets. So when when the class one eggs are in Waitrose and you cannot go there... Real Madrid is not Barcelona, it's an office small team with many problems. I want my players play with balls. We're on with Neil Jones of Goal.com to chat about Wednesday night's Merseyside Derby. Thanks for joining the podcast, Neil. Pleasure, mate. All the best. Um, so I suppose going into this, um, each club's fortunes couldn't be further apart. You have Liverpool firing on all fronts. Um, they're leading the league by eight points. They're on one of their greatest runs of form in recent history. And then you have Everton, who, after all the money spent and getting in their, their main man in Marco Silva, they're kind of teetering on the edge um, of the relegation zone. Um, Neil, let's start with Liverpool. It's been kind of a weird season for them. They're unbeaten in the league and on this amazing run of results, but they haven't really set the league alight yet. Um, yet they're eight points clear of second. They're 11 points ahead of City. But it doesn't really feel like they're kind of getting the, the credit that the, this sort of form deserves. How would you, how would you summarise their season so far? Yeah, I think I think you're right in the sense that it, it, it does feel a little bit strange that Liverpool are in the position that they're in because you know, as someone who, who covers them, Every game that they play, and you know, has to has to analyse and, and and find the sort of um, the patterns in the performances. I, I I agree. I don't think they've been anything like, you know, outstanding. You know, I don't think they've been a team that no one else can get near because they're just so so good. I think what they have shown is they've got an unbelievable mentality and an unbelievable winning mentality. Uh, I call it, I, collective um, spirit and togetherness that, that gets them through difficult moments in games and you just look at the record I mean you know 12 wins from 13 this mm. season they've lost one of the last 53 um, in the in the league they're unbeaten at Anfield for you know closing in on three years I mean it, they just keep setting record after record and they're in such a wonderful position at the moment that it's you know it, it's hard to see them not capitalising on that but I do think if you were to um, if you were to ask most supporters, can Liverpool improve? Yes, they can, and I think that's a scary prospect for the rest of the Premier League. Absolutely, and then I suppose looking at Wednesday night on the other end end of the spectrum, things couldn't be going worse for Everton um, so far, especially with expectations kind of so high. 
um, going into the season and all the money that they've spent. Um, where would you kind of pinpoint the issue? Is Marco Silva to blame? Because to me, especially on paper, the the squad seems quite strong. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's a it's a very um very frustrating one for Everton, especially given you you know you look at if you'd looked in recent seasons when the top four or the top six was established, you'd say, well, okay, you know, there's not really a chance for an Everton to, to break in. But then you look at this season and you've got Manchester United having the problems that they're having. You've got Arsenal and Tottenham having problems and changing their manager. And you've got spaces there for that top four, you know, which we're seeing with Leicester um, exploiting those spaces. And Everton's intention at the start of the season was to, to do likewise and to capitalise on, on the errors of, of other clubs above them. Um, they haven't been able to do that because of their own their own mistakes. Um, in terms of pinpointing what's to blame, it's hard to say it's just down to Marco Silva because you've, you've seen the managers before him and they've also had very similar problems. So you look at Ronald Koeman had a, a positive start and then it tailed off. You look at Roberto Martinez who had a good start and it tailed off. Sam Allardyce, you know, was was Sam Allardyce and he he, he got them to a certain level, but he was probably never ever going to get them higher than that level. But Silver, I think a lot more was expected of him personally. I think mm. you know he was he was someone who the club identified as being you know a progressive manager who could sort of set a bit of a, a culture at the club and take them forward over a number of years but so far it's not really not really happened and I think you know I've just listed four managers there I think that probably gets closer to the crux of the problem than anything else is that you've got a squad and a team there that's been assembled by different people for different purposes and over a number of years uh, Neil it's Phil here just uh, and we spoke earlier about a uh, Liverpool's great start to the season. They're 12th and 13 in the league. They're about to head into a very sticky, active period for them. Uh, they're going to play 10 games at least between the 4th of December and the 4th of January. Possibility yeah. of one more if they reach the, the World Club Cup final. They literally have to split their squad in two to fulfil all these fixtures. Uh, with a couple of niggling injuries there with Robertson, Salah, obviously Fabinho, and now Alisson's suspension, how do you think they're equipped to handle this really busy period coming up? Yeah, well, it's going to be a test. It, it is going to it is going to challenge the, the squad strength. And like you say, there, you mean they've they've already they've already experienced a couple of difficulties. You know, you add in Joel Matip as, as an injury there as well, who's still on the sidelines, and maybe maybe not until sort of later in the month we'll see him. So it is going to test them, and you're going to be looking at a few players. I think who. I think Higgins going to have his heart in his mouth every time they go up for a header or they, they, they attempt to sprint because he just can't do without them. I'm thinking of people like Van Dijk and, and obviously Mane and Firmino. Gini Wijnaldum now is obviously in a position where he's pretty much going to have to play more games than not. But I do think I do think they do have depth in certain areas. I think in midfield especially they, they do have the numbers and the quality to cope with, with that. Maybe not so much in the attacking areas. But you look at really, I mean... You look at Liverpool's record, you look at their, their history, they've been able to win games pretty much whoever's been on the pitch in the last 18 months or so. So I think they'll they'll back themselves to get through it. The fixture list isn't as tough as it could be. I mean, just, just by comparison, look at Everton's fixtures over the next few weeks. You know, they've they have they have Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool twice, they have Arsenal, they have Leicester, they have Burnley. You know, Liverpool's are a little bit more um kind to them over over that period and They'll be hoping that obviously they can they can maybe get Matip back. Obviously, Alisson will come back um, for the weekend, and then maybe Fabinho before the end of the month or early in January. So I think if they can um, if they can ride out that storm with 
you know, a, a friendly looking fixture list, even though it's a, a congested one. I think they'll be in a great position from there on. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Fabinho there potentially coming back towards the end of the month or into the new year. He's arguably been Liverpool's best player this season, or certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, we saw um, at the weekend, Klopp went with Henderson in that sixth role. Um, and we've seen in the past in the League Cup and stuff, the Lan has played there. Um, how do you think he's going to set out his stall for the, kind of the big games in Fabinho's absence, thinking about kind of the, the Champions League game against Salzburg, maybe the yeah. uh, game away to Leicester? How do you think he's going to manage Fabinho's absence there? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I was surprised it was Henderson on, on, on Saturday, to be honest. I yeah. thought it would have been Juan Alden because he, he was the one who replaced Fabinho against Napoli. Um, and went into that role, and I think Genie Van Alden's done it really well actually when he's when he's played there. You know, in the early part of last season in particular, um, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a horses for courses approach. I think we'll see. You know, maybe maybe in in times when he he wants a bit more progressive play, I think he might play Van Alden in there if he wants that sort of energy from Henderson on the right hand side of the midfield three. I think he'll look for that. If it's one where he expects a sort of you know a a, a bit more of a a counter-attacking threat, if you like. I think he might stick Henderson in there, and he might look to, to use his sort of his legs in, in that position. There could be there could be times. I mean, I know a lot of supporters would would um, would like to see it. There could be times when we see a, a slight change in the system, albeit it hasn't happened often. Where maybe he goes to a, a four-two-three-one and plays both both of those two in that position, and maybe adds another midfielder, a Cater or a Oxley Chamberlain into the um, into the sort of attacking midfield line but I think I think the good thing for, for Klopp's point of view is at least he's got two very experienced and very good players that can perform that role it's not a case of Fabinho you know he's the only player in the squad who can do it the others have shown at various points in their career that they can handle that role yeah. Neil to, to jump back to Everton for a bit um, if things don't go well for Silva over the next few games you know the likelihood is he's going to lose his job and and Everton are going to be looking for a new manager. Um, David Moyes has been mentioned, unbelievably so, um, and he's he, he's third favourite um, in, in the betting. So, I mean, like, what were your thoughts on that initially? Um, and, and is there any real sort of stock in that? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, it, it is an, um, an improbable situation, isn't it, when you think about Everton? If you think about the narrative of Everton, which has been, you know, to, to move away from that sort of... You know, settling for for mediocrity or settling for the middle of the table. They 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 want to show ambition. They're going to spend money and they're going to try and break break through that glass ceiling and whatever else you want to talk about. To then be in a position where Sam Allardyce has been your manager and David Moyes might be might be your next one is doesn't really tie into that. But the reason the reason that Moyes is is under consideration is because he has a, a major supporter in the, in the Everton boardroom, and that's Bill Kenwright, the, the, the chairman, obviously formerly a major shareholder, now just a minor shareholder, but someone who's still got some clout at the club, and he would, I think, it's fair to say he would welcome Moyes back with open arms. They had a great relationship, and I think he sees him as a, a realistic option. I know, obviously, <laughs> I know the reaction of supporters, you know, living in the city and, and, and speaking to Evertonians about about what they think about that. I don't think it would be viewed as a positive positive move at all. But the difficult thing for Everton is not only are they sort of not that attractive a proposition in the in the state that they're in, but they're also competing with, with other clubs in the Premier League now for, for the same pool of managers. And, you know, you, you look at someone like Pochettino, 
would would he consider Everton when there's other jobs on the table? I don't think he would. You look at Max Allegri, the same applies for him. You even look at someone like let's say Mikel Arteta was to be considered as a you know a, someone to be promoted to a number one job. I think he would. I think Arsenal would have first dibs on him above Everton. Even so, that's that's how difficult it will be for them at the moment to recruit a new manager. And I think that might be one of the big things that's keeping Marco in a job at the moment because it's, there isn't an obvious solution, you know, lurking around the uh, the managerial merry-go-round. You mentioned, uh, you know, Evertonians might not sort of welcome uh, David Moyes, to put it lightly. Uh, why do you think? clubs kind of go against the grain or the, or, or the fans' wishes, you know, knowing how detrimental it, it's likely to be um, and, and go ahead and appoint, uh, make these appointments? Yeah, I think it's fair. I think I think that's where you can... I mean, it's the only excuse, I think, for the Allardyce appointments in particular at Everton mm-hmm. is, is fair. I mean, uh, you know, managers see... I mean, listen, for example, tomorrow night, if Everton lose to Liverpool and Liverpool... Sorry, and and um, Southampton beat Norwich. Everton are in the bottom three immediately. So I mean that that automatically triggers you know a panic among among the board, a panic among you know the people who make the decision. And you sort of you're confronted then with in December the, the possibility that hey you know we could we could lose our Premier League status. And for a club like Everton, which has invested as much as it has, as such a proud record of being in the top flight as an established Premier League club, that is unthinkable. So they have to they have to balance that off. And I think a lot of people would think that, hey, you know, if David Moyes comes in and does an average job, he keeps us in the, in the Premier League and we can sort of rebuild from there. He's out of work. He's obviously not going to be the most high-paid manager that you would, that you would say. So I think, I think, the bottom line is, I think some things are deemed just just too important to ignore, and the idea of Everton being in you know being in a a long um, a long term relegation scrap, I think, would would terrify the uh, the people who make the decisions at Goodison. Finally, I suppose you know, from from an Irish perspective, uh, we we've seen kind of the sidelining of, of Seamus Coleman um, in recent weeks. I know he's out injured for for the game, but. Um, he's kind of lost his place to Sadibi and Sadibi kind of looks decent enough and, and you know doesn't look like dropping out of the side anytime soon. Like Coleman is 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 kind of is still the he's still the club captain and it's kind of like a, a situation that's being replicated with Ireland in terms of Matt Doherty and Matt Doherty kind of from the fans' point of view, they don't want him to be you know to, to be put out of the side. Like Coleman's in a, in a difficult sort of career-wise in a difficult situation. How do you how do you see it going for him? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, listen, I have to, I have to. I'm sure you guys are in a similar position. But I have to, I have to um, declare a slight bias towards Seamus Coleman because he's a great guy and he's someone who I've got so much respect for as a person and as a footballer. And given the way he's recovered from the most horrendous of injuries, he's someone that I I will to succeed. You know, at Everton, and I really, I really would love to see him do it. It's a difficult one because if you're if you're a right back and there's another right back, then there's not much you can do, is there? You can't really play two of them. Um, you know, you, you're either going to have to move on to the other side and play in a, a sort of awkward out-of-position role, or you're going to have to sit behind someone. And Leighton Baines is in the same position. You know, another stalwart of Everton who's who's there as a, a backup left back. So you're sort of seeing a little bit of a changing of the guards. I, I would certainly, I would say, I would never back against Seamus Coleman to, to to fight his way back into contention for club or country. He's still a you know, at his best, he's still a very, very good full-back, very good footballer. Big character as well. I know I know he's very important in the Everton dressing room. He's someone who sets, you know, 
good examples and set a, a high standard in training and around you know around the training ground on a day-to-day basis but for the time being I think you know he first of all he's got to get himself back fully fit um, and then he might just have to buy this time a little bit because as, as you say Sidibe's done pretty well you know he's put in put in a few good crosses set up a few goals and he's, he's someone who's got decent experience himself you know with, with Monaco and with France so I think at the moment it's just a bit of a frustrating one for for Coleman, but yeah, like I say, you know, if anyone's got the uh, the character and the mentality to uh, to bring themselves back into a position of prominence at Everton, then it's it's Seamus. Um, Neil, kind of a story kind of popped up today to to bounce back to Liverpool for a minute. Um, is after their kind of difficult uh, December Christmas period. Uh, going into January is the possibility of some transfers, and I know, um, kind of Jadon Sancho has been touted as a possible uh, signing, and Jan Aga Fjortoft, the um, the Norwegian pundit, um, who seems a fairly reputable source, kind of started that rumor off. Can you see Liverpool dipping into into the January transfer business? It would be fairly unlike them. Um, and uh, to be honest, I'd be a little bit surprised to see Klopp make any huge splashes in the January, consider, considering how well they have been going. But but do you see them kind of dipping in to strengthen the squad or or maybe a, a pre-agreement for, for the summertime? Yeah, well, I think the latter is is, is more likely. Um, it, it'd be very unlike Liverpool and Jürgen Klopp. I think, you know, I might be right in saying this, I think the only signing they've made in, in January since Klopp's been at the club was Stephen Colker on loan <laughs> in, in his first January. And yeah, what a memorable, what a memorable purchase that was. But um, no doubt that, that Sancho, I mean, I'm not, I'm not revealing anything that no one else would know. No doubt that Sancho has a lot of admirers mm. at Liverpool. He has a lot of admirers at pretty much every club because, because of his talent. I think if there was a deal to be done at, at the right price, then sure, Liverpool would be, would be, you know, open to doing so. Whether that would ever be the case in, in January, when we know obviously, you know, there seems to be a, a premium on players because of because of obviously varying ambitions and the, the difficulty of replacing. Liverpool benefited from that, of course. A couple of seasons ago with Philippe Coutinho, for example. I don't think he was ever really worth the fee that Liverpool got, but because it was January, they were able to hike it up a little bit. I think I think Liverpool tend, with the way they work, they, they tend to work towards you know more joined-up transfers. And I don't think bringing a player in in the middle of a, a title... A title season, you know, potentially someone who'd be cup tied for the for the Champions League. In any case, I don't think that fits into to what they've been doing. But stranger things have happened. You know, I, I would have said it would be unlikely that they'd let Coutinho leave in the middle of the season when they had ambitions, and they, that happened, and they never replaced them. So you never know with with the, with the transfer window. But yeah, I, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't be staking a tenner of my money on on Sancho coming. <laughs> In, in January, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe yeah, I'd maybe look more towards the summer for something like that. It would be a massive outlay and probably again very on Liverpool. Like um, I've seen in excess of 120 million pounds been been mentioned, yeah. um, and he is still only 19. I mean, a lot could go wrong um, spending that much money, um, which Liverpool haven't done. Um, obviously. They sold Coutinho for a massive fee, but I'd say to be very reluctant to to kind of exchange that and spend that much money on another player. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, and it's not you know I know from speaking to people in and around the club um, in the last sort of eighteen months, really or twelve months, there's been a reluctance to spend 
you know, you, people will say, oh, they spent 75 million on Van Dyke and they spent 60 million on Allison and this and that. They they bought those players because they knew they were going straight into the team and they were gonna they they were felt they were gonna make an immediate impact and the same applies to Naby Keita albeit he as it happens hasn't been really been able to do that you know he was he was signed as someone that they thought would hit the ground running and be straight in the midfield and make a big difference but you look at you know they haven't spent big money on on a sort of backup forward they have you know they, their only real backup forwards that they've had have been Shakiri who didn't cost an awful lot of money and and Divock Origi, who was already at the club and I think the reason was that they didn't see the menace in buying let's say a Christian Pulisic or a, a Wilfred Zaha or a Nicolas Pepe or someone like that because they're thinking well 60 70 million pounds for someone who basically is going to have to wait until Mane or Salah you know pick up an injury does it make great business sense? You know, they can get by with, with what they've got. And, you know, maybe Sancho would would be a different type of um, purchase, be given his age and given the potential that he's got, the obvious potential that he's got. He's an excellent player. But I, I do still think that there's a case that you could say that would Jaden Sancho get in Liverpool's best 11 at the moment? Probably not. You know, they, that, they would probably have to change the system to get him in. So I think that makes it another, you know, another complication really to, to such a, a big money signing and I suppose uh, circling back to Everton and Liverpool um, on Wednesday night they couldn't be further um, apart from each other at the moment and we probably won't see a repeat um, like Divock Origi's winner last year but um, Neil how, how are you going to call this one yeah well yeah I, I wouldn't be a uh... Jordan Pickford will certainly be hoping we won't see a, a repeat of the, uh, the Rigi winner of last year. I mean, that was one of the strangest goals Anfield's ever seen. Um, I, I think it'll be a tight game. I, I really do. I think, you know, as you were speaking, funny enough, at the start of the show, I thought, well, you're saying this, you know, Liverpool have done this, Everton have done this. Yeah. I think I think it's set up for an upset, isn't it? You know, all those stats are sort of, you know, they're the perfect storm, really, for the you know a shock, a shock result. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a very tight game. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the balance in the last twenty minutes. Liverpool have pretty much had that in every game they've played this season. No team has no team has failed to score at Anfield this season. No visiting team. So they they obviously they obviously aren't finishing games off as as they would like to. I think Everton will come and try and try and frustrate. You know, score the first goal if they can. If not, stay in the game. And I think there'll be a lot of um, a lot of big, you know, heart from Everton, a lot of passion in their performance. They've obviously got a lot to play for. And I think Liverpool are going to have to maybe grind one out. But, you know, look, I watch Liverpool week in, week out. And, you know, it doesn't matter the circumstance. I always think they're going to win, to be perfectly honest with this team. And I'm no different tomorrow. I think they'll, they'll get the result. But I think it might be another 2-1 or 1-0. Great stuff, Neil. Um, thanks very much for joining the podcast tonight. Anytime.